It's one week from a very special day here at Asheville Road. We expect the arrival of our new family and involvement minister, Eli Mann, uh, next Sunday, November the 20th. Eli and Jenna have been excitedly preparing to, to join us down here. They have been bidding farewell to the congregation they've been with in Greenfield, Tennessee, which is a hard thing to do, as we know. Uh, and they've also been making preparations to live down here in Leeds. So uh, we've been talking with them and working towards that transition. And for that reason, I wanted to preach a little bit about preparing for our next youth minister. And the lesson's title this morning is, What Your Next Youth Minister Needs. You know, in order for Eli to get off to a good start, he needs to be prepared, and we need to be prepared as well. We have a share in that. It's not just a one-way thing. He has to make preparations, and, and we do too. And uh, it's all about transition, and transition is about endings, and it's about beginnings. And all of that can be a positive thing if we work together. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8 says, Better is the end of a thing, thing than its beginning. And uh, we had to, on May 17th, bid farewell to a family that we love very dearly, Hunter and Jenny Kinnemer. And that, that was a hard thing, but there were many good things about it because we could look back on four and a half years of growth and good work. We could look back on a fond relationship that we developed with, with that family, the birth of two beautiful boys, and so many good things. And uh, uh a transition that wasn't hard in terms of, of bad feelings or anything like that, but just the growth of a family in a direction and the growth of a church in another direction. So in that ending, we can say that was, that was good. And then the very next week, we had a young man come and join us for the summer, Colton Wells. And uh, we had a great summer with him, and before we knew it, we had to bid farewell to him, and that was hard in a different way. But it was also good because we had built a good relationship with him. And so now we are finished with endings and uh, looking toward a beginning, beginning of a new relationship with another family. And it's important for us to prepare for that. The Bible's always telling us to be prepared. I like the comparison in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, where we're told to look at the ant and be prepared like an ant. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise without having any chief, officer, or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of your hands to rest. And then your poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Uh, the ant prepares for the harvest, for the winter time. And uh, sluggards who don't prepare, they find themselves in a lot of trouble. If we don't prepare, no matter how hard Eli works, we won't benefit from his efforts here. We need to be ready. The Bible's always saying, stay awake, be alert. And Jesus said that often, and many times he was talking about being ready for his second coming, but it applies to all situations. We need to be alert, we need to be awake and ready for anything. And so I want to 
work on some preparation as we get ready for a new family joining us next week. And uh, I'm asking you, of course, to pray about this. And uh, we will study God's Word this morning. And our text is going to be 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 and following. If you want to turn there, we'll be referring back to that several times as we look at some of the things our next youth minister needs. So here's the first one that I want to talk about. Number one, he needs our respect. And we'll start in the text with verse 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look at the first part of that. Let no one, Paul says to Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth. Don't let anybody despise you for your youth. Now, it doesn't say Timothy was a youth minister. It says that he was youthful. And that's a relative term. The older we get, the, the older a young person can be in our mind, right? Uh, when you're teenagers, you think you're old at about the age of 25. But uh, as we get past that age, youth kind of stretches in its meaning. I've heard estimates of Timothy's age that range anywhere from 18 to 40. We don't really know how old Timothy was. We know his mother and grandmother seemed to still be alive, so he had to have been somewhere south of 40. But uh, we're not exactly sure. What matters here, though, is that he was not to allow people to disrespect him or despise him because of his age. And I think that applies to a minister of any age. He cannot do his work if he's not respected. If he's despised, to use the language here, by the Apostle Paul. And the way that you keep that from happening is you set a good example. So you look at the rest of the verse. Uh, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. If you have a good example, then people aren't going to despise you. They will respect you. What's respect? Respect is honoring another person for the honor that's due. It's saying to the other person, you're valuable. We need you. You're an important part of this work. It's not empty flattery. Uh, it's meaningful. If you try to fake it, people will see through it. It has to be real. In fact, a lot of times flattery is a sign of, of disrespect. Uh, I, when I was a youth minister, the minister I worked with, when... Uh, he would learn of some compliment that was given to me. He would always say, be careful. And I always scratched my head and wondered what he meant by that. But he was warning me about just accepting empty praise and flattery because he had heard that a lot in his ministry. And he knew to distinguish that from the true, uh, meaningful communications of respect. When we say, show the minister respect... What we mean is more than empty flattery, true respect. And everyone deserves a level of respect. You know, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says to honor everyone. Because every human being has been made in the image of God. Every human being has special gifts and abilities and opportunities that are unique. Every person is special, no matter how flawed they are. We need to look for the good in people, and especially our youth minister coming in. They, everybody needs to be told that they're of value to the organization, in this case, the church, and that they play a needful role. And so, first of all, he needs our respect. Let's turn in the second place. What else does he need? 
He needs affirmation. This is a lot like respect, but let me talk about affirmation. What I mean by that is he needs to know that you know that he is a real minister, that he has a real job. You know, uh, the blue fairy in Pinocchio, she says to Pinocchio, be brave, be truthful and unselfish, and one day you'll be a real boy. And sometimes we treat youth ministers like this. We say, now be brave, be truthful, and be unselfish, and one of these days you'll be a real minister. We can't be like that. You know, we have to affirm and accept that the youth minister is every bit as much a minister as the pulpit minister. And let me go through some common misconceptions about youth ministers. And I'm not saying necessarily that we hold these misconceptions here at Asheville Road, but these are common throughout churches. And you've, you've heard some of these before. Maybe you've believed some of these before. Number one is uh, they are interns. They're still in a training position, not a profession on its own. Uh, already making contributions. Sometimes churches treat youth ministers like they're doing them a favor somehow. We'll give you a little experience and we'll pay you. And yes, they're getting experience and a lot of them are young when they come into the position, but they have a value, valued, needed position already. They're not just interns. This isn't just an educational experience that we're giving him. Number two, they are treated like junior ministers sometimes. Uh, sometimes youth ministers are treated like they have a lower rank than the pulpit minister, and that's not at all the way that it should be. Uh, they're treated like part-time workers. When I was a youth minister in Gardendale, I remember going to a baseball game of one of the kids in the youth group, and I was sitting up in the stands next to a parent, and we were getting to know one another and visiting and having a good time, and she was getting to... She was asking me a lot of questions, and at one point she turned to me and she said, uh, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm your youth minister. <laughs> she said, oh, I didn't know you got paid to do that. And uh, she thought it was kind of like, at the very most, a part-time job. Well, of course, that was my full-time job. And it, it didn't encourage me a whole lot to hear one of the parents say that. Um, we certainly don't want to give our next youth minister, the impression that we think he's just got a part-time job. There's a lot for him to do. Another misconception is that they are babysitters or activity planners. Why in the world would we hire a guy with a bachelor's degree and give him a full-time salary just to watch our kids when we're away? You know, that's not at all what this is about. Uh, there's so much more to youth ministry than activities and just watching kids and keeping them out of trouble. And then a lot of times that position is treated like a stepping stone to real work. And I wonder how the men that have served as youth ministers for 20, 30, in some cases 40 years feel about that sentiment, which I've heard expressed many times, that it's a stepping stone to a bigger position or to a real job. We, we need to be careful and not express or even entertain these notions in our minds, educate ourselves about what a youth minister really should be. Let's think about that. Let me give you a few points about what youth ministry involves. 
Number one, it involves modeling Christian behavior. Going back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, as I said, to gain the respect of his congregation, Timothy was told to set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And so he has the job of not just preaching the Christian life, but by exemplifying. And kids are like everybody else. They learn more by example than instruction. Instruction is very important, but we can, most of us are visual learners. And they need to see it lived out. And also, it, it's bad for teaching if you're a hypocrite. So you practice what you preach if you want people to really believe what you're preaching. And ministers have to do that, especially youth ministers. That doesn't mean he's going, going to be perfect. I'll say a little bit about that in just a moment. But it does mean that he needs to make an attempt to lead the Christian life and be somebody that we wouldn't mind our, our young men growing up to be like. Number two. Teaching, of course, is a very important part of the position. If you go to verse 13 in the text, Paul instructs Timothy, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. We're in a service economy in America today, and unfortunately that has kind of seeped into our mentality in churches to where we want the lion's share of any ministry position to be pastoral care. Now, what I mean by pastoral care is uh, shepherding, connecting, counseling, visiting. And the results of that have been disastrous because it's led to poor students in the pulpit and the classrooms. Ministers of all kinds need to be excellent, hardworking students of the Word of God. And whenever I talk about this, I always go back to Acts chapter 6, where we see the example of the apostles. They were being pulled into more of a, a, a pastoral care situation in the distribution of the food to the poor saints in Jerusalem, particularly the widows there. The Hellenistic widows were being overlooked in the distribution of the food. Uh, the Jewish women were getting the food that they needed, but the women of the Greek culture were not. And so naturally, the church brought the problem to the apostles. And the apostles could have said, like a lot of church leaders do, okay, we'll take care of it. And then set aside their study of the word, their prayer, their teaching, their shepherding for food distribution. But instead, they said, we want you to pick out seven men from among yourselves. They gave them qualifications for those positions. We think, by the way, this is the genesis of the office of deacon, although they're not called deacons in that passage. And the church selected seven men to handle the distribution of the food. The apostles delegated that work for a very good reason that is expressed in verse 4. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, they said, We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Ministry means service. So they said, we're going to keep our focus on prayer and on studying the Word of God and being able to teach and communicate it effectively. And they stayed focused on that. And that's one of the many reasons the early church grew the way that it did. Because when people had questions about God, their leaders were able to answer them. When they needed to know what the gospel was, their leaders knew how to answer them. 
when they were struggling with complicated cultural challenges, their leaders knew how to lead them through that because they knew the Word of God. We need to have a strong Bible school program. We need to have educated, knowledgeable teachers in our classrooms. We need to have strong preaching from the pulpit. Churches still need to know the Word of God. And we need a youth minister who can teach the Word of God. And this is one of the things I'll tell you ahead of time that I'm impressed with when it comes to Eli. I got to sit on some of the, some of the interviews with him. And there were a number of questions that we posed him, you know, situations that we would pose to him. And uh, we would ask him how he would solve that problem. And a lot of his answers had to do with what he would do in, in class as he was teaching them. And, and I love that he wants to use the classroom, among other tools, to grow and shape the minds of our young people. And that's, that's a very good thing because teaching is a big part of the work. Let's move on. A third thing, evangelizing. Uh, in his book, Closing the Back Door, Tom Rainer, a guy who does a lot of research among evangelical Christians, he said that 82% of people become Christians before the age of 20. I've told you about this statistic before. I think I may have mentioned it last Sunday. 82% of people who proclaim themselves Christians become Christians before they reach the age of 20. That means youth ministers work with a field of 82% and the rest of us work with a field of 18%. That's how important youth ministry is. If you want to reach somebody with the gospel, you better do it before they get locked in to a mindset in their young adult age because the odds are they're not going to move away from what they learned when they were teenagers. Now, there are, of course, exceptions to that. And we, we still hold out hope for people who haven't obeyed the gospel and who are adults. But we need to reach our young people. We need to meet, reach as many young people as we can with the gospel of Jesus Christ because souls are at stake. And so evangelism, very important part of a youth minister's job. Also leading. Uh, he needs to be able to lead in a number of ways. Uh, he needs to be a worship leader. You know, I know a lot of preachers who can't lead singing, but I haven't met a youth minister yet who at least doesn't make an attempt to lead singing. Uh, because a lot of times they find themselves leading a devotional, and they're, I don't think they'll have this, Eli will have this problem with these, these young men here, who, among whom we have a lot of talented song leaders, but a lot of times youth ministers will find themselves in a small group of teenagers, and they're asked to lead all the aspects of worship. And so leadership is an important part of that. Sometimes we don't think about I mentioned pastoral care before. Uh, the job does involve a lot of visiting, connecting, and counseling. He'll be called to do that because ministry is a lot about relationships. And um, we realize the importance of building relationships here at Asheville Road. And uh, the stronger those relationships are, the stronger the church will be as a whole. And then planning. Uh, I go back to John 15 where we read about the vine and the branches. And in verse 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, 
and so prove to be my disciples. And look at that again. He says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, that service, that you serve others, and by that service prove to be my disciples. Now we talk here at Asheville Road about our mission to make disciples. And as we talk about that, we say making disciples is not simply baptizing people, but it's also about growth and it's about service. And we summarize that through three words, seed, plant, and fruit. Planting the seed is evangelism. Growing the plants as they mature on the vine is worship and fellowship. It's, it's about bonding together. It's discipleship. It's uh, learning in Bible classes. And then fruit has to do with service. And Jesus says, if you're going to prove your discipleship, you do it through service. Well, that's what the youth minister's planning is all about. He has to make opportunities for young people to serve. And, and our youth group is always involved in acts of service. I'm so proud of them in the way that they serve so willingly. For several years now, they've been going to Gina, Louisiana, and uh, they go down there and evangelize and knock on doors and put on a vacation Bible school and mow yards. And, and all you have to do is, is say, we need to clean up somebody's yard. And, and the young people, if they can get a ride, they show up right away with uh, gloves and rakes and shovels and weed eaters and everything that they need to clean up a yard. And, and I could go on and on and on about their willingness to serve. And that needs to continue. And that takes a lot of planning. The last, uh, and this is not a comprehensive list, but the last part of the job description, I would say, is praying, which takes us back again to the example of the apostles in Acts chapter 6. They said not only that they would give themselves to the ministry of the Word, but these early preachers also said, we're going to give ourselves to prayer. We're going to stay devoted to prayer. And if we get involved in the distribution of food, it's going to take away from our prayer time. And prayer is where the strength is, because that's where we get help from God. And we want a youth minister who is going to tap into the omnipotent strength of God through his prayer life on behalf of himself and his youth group and this church. And so you can see it involves a great deal of effort and time and energy and faith for the youth minister to do his job according to the the way the scriptures say he should do it. It's a real minister engaged in important spiritual work. And the only difference between a youth minister and the pulpit minister is a matter of emphasis. When it comes to value, when it comes to the work involved, it's equal. Let's go on to another thing that the youth minister needs from us. What our next youth minister needs, number three, is permission to be himself. Let's get back to the text, 1 Timothy 4. Look at verse 14. Paul says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And Paul doesn't say what this gift was. More than likely, it was a miraculous gift. The uh, second letter to Timothy tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, to fan into flame this gift. And uh, he was told that uh, he should uh, put it into good use. And evidently, Timothy struggled with that because Paul tells him 
uh, that God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The reason we think it probably was a miraculous gift is because the phrase fan into flame usually is connected with the idea of the Holy Spirit. Flame and spirit are often uh, illustrative of, of one another. You can see some passages like Acts chapter 2 where uh, the Spirit came upon the apostles and there appeared over their heads tongues of fire. Uh, that indicates that possibly this is what he was talking about with Timothy. Also, in 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul says that he received it at the, at the point when Paul laid his hands on him. And miraculous gifts were passed from one person to the other only by the laying on of the apostles' hands by the days of Timothy. And so he probably had a miraculous gift that Paul was encouraging him to use. Now, we don't necessarily possess miraculous power today, but we have gifts. And I think we can make an application here to everyone's unique gifts. That whatever gifts God gave you, whatever gifts make you, you, you should use them. You should know what they are and use them to contribute to the work of the Lord, no matter who you are, but especially if you're a minister of the gospel. And our next youth minister is going to be different from our last youth minister. Now, we've been through enough youth ministers here to know that no two youth ministers are the same, right? And they've all brought unique contributions. Uh, Barton and Neil and Andrew and Hunter all brought unique contributions to this congregation and we're benefiting even today from things that they did in the past. And Eli will bring new, unique things to the table as well. And we need to encourage that. We don't need to ask him to be just like the guy before him. That's asking him to do an impossible thing. We need to encourage him to do the things that he does best. Just like we'd want people to encourage us to do. We don't like to be held to somebody else's example. We want to be the best version of us. And that's all that we can be, right? So our next youth minister needs permission to be himself. Going along with that, number four, he needs opportunity for growth. Paul continues his instructions to Timothy in verse 15, saying, practice these things Immerse yourself in them, watch this, so that all may see your progress. It's good for churches when their leaders grow. John Maxwell wrote this very influential book on leadership years ago, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And one of those laws was the law of the lid. And the basic idea of that is the leader is a lid on the organization. You lift, the lid, you lift the lid and the organization grows. Lift the lid and the organization gets better. Everybody benefits from the growth of their leaders. And a lot of organizations suffer, and I can include churches in this, from a stagnant leadership. And that comes in terms of numerical and spiritual growth. Uh, we need to look down the road at new elders, new deacons, new ministers. And as we grow that group numerically, the church will be able to grow. But we also need the current elders, deacons, ministers, teachers. We need them to continue growing spiritually and in their knowledge 
And as that spiritual growth takes place, the church will have more potential for growth itself. What can we do to help the next youth minister grow? Well, one thing is don't expect him to be perfect. I believe we've hired a very talented young man. Uh, he does have some experience. He's probably the most experienced youth minister we've ever hired. Uh, he's been at uh, Greenfield for a year and a half, working there, learning, getting a lot of experience there. But he's still young, and he's still a human being. And so he's not going to be perfect any more than you or I are perfect. So we can't expect him to be perfect. Number two, we need to give him time for personal improvement. Let him work on his education. Encourage him. If he, if he chooses to pursue uh, further graduate degrees, let's encourage him to do that. Uh, when I was a youth minister, I was not at a church that did that. They told me that, you know, your graduate work has to be done on your own time. And so on Monday mornings, I would uh, work on my schoolwork till about 1130. I'd get in the car and drive to Fried Hardeman. We didn't do remote learning. Yes, I'm very old. This was before distance learning on the computer. But I would drive to Fried Hardeman. I'd sit in class from 3 to 9, and then I'd get in the car and drive back again at great risk to my health because I was not very wide awake on those drives home. And it's a wonder I'm still alive. But the next morning, I got up, and I couldn't work on my schoolwork at the office. I wasn't supposed to anyway. I was supposed to give myself to my job then and then do my schoolwork on my own time. That was not good for me. That wasn't good for the church. You know, if a youth minister is growing and improving himself, he's going to benefit us. And uh, we, we, we benefit from somebody who is happy and healthy and growing. You lift the lid, you lift the organization. Number three, encourage him when he makes mistakes. He's going to make mistakes. We make mistakes, and what we need to do is look at a mistake as an opportunity to learn from our failure. If you're not failing at anything, you're not trying anything new. So you need to put a positive spin on your failures and learn to move forward from them and grow from them. And then we also need to reinforce his victories, cheer him on when he succeeds, writing cards encouraging him. Uh, let his wife know how much you appreciate her and her contributions as well. We can do that. This is a very encouraging church. The last thing I want to share with you as we talk about what we need to do for our next youth minister, I want to talk about integration. There's some very scary statistics out there about retention rates uh, among Christians. And uh, the numbers are all over the place, and it depends on what group of Christians you might, might be looking at. I haven't seen numbers on Churches of Christ specifically, but overall, the numbers say that 40 to 50 young people leave their church after high school. Half of young people don't come back to the church when they get out of their parents' home. Now, that is a very scary statistic. But if we think about young people in the past, if we think about our own children, if we think about our grandchildren, we know that that number is true. And we want to make that better. We want to stop that. 
So what has been the problem? Well, it's a complicated issue, to be sure. But one of the contributing factors over the last few years has been isolating young people from the church as a whole. And when we do that, all they know is a youth group. They get out of the youth group, and they don't know anything about the church that the youth group belonged to. They've been isolated the whole time. They get out of the youth group. It's like they not only graduated from high school, they graduated from church. And so how do you prevent that integration? You bring the youth group along with the church as much as you can. Intergenerational ministry is very important. It's one of the things I love about open home meetings. Uh, when we will have our open home meeting uh, tonight, uh, we'll have a lot of teenagers in our group alongside the, the adults, and they will share in the discussion. Uh, churches are described in many ways in the New Testament. One of the ways they're described is as a family. 1 Timothy 3.15, Ephesians uh, 2.19, the church is called the household of God. Household is a word meaning family. Families have grandparents, they have moms and dads, they have children. I know families look different, you know, there are all kinds of different kinds of families, but most families have multiple generations, and churches need to look like that as well. We need to have older people that we value, middle-aged people, we need to have empty nesters, we need to have families, we need to have teenagers, we need to have young children, we need to have singles, we need to have uh, young couples without children, we need to have young professionals. And all of that is a very important mixture and blend to a healthy church. If you look at your church as just one-dimensional, then when you leave that dimension, and you will, you will become an adult, or you will become an empty nester, or whatever it is, you won't be able to find your role anymore. And so integration is so important. Now let me say this. It's not just about integrating the teenagers into the church, but we need to pay close attention to how we're integrating the youth minister and his wife into the church. When I was a youth minister, I loved the kids in my youth group. I loved them to death. But they were pretty much the only close friends that I had because I would go off on a trip and I wouldn't have many chaperones. I wouldn't have many people. They'd say, well, you know, Drew's with them and we can go do our thing. And uh, my best friends were like 13 years old. <laughs> now that's kind of, they, they were a lot of fun, but... You know, I needed more than that. And if you want a youth minister to settle in and stay for a long time, he needs friendships um, among the adults. He needs friendships with the older people, um, people his age. We need to make sure that he has the time and the freedom to do that as well. Uh, I think one of the questions that Eli asked us is, how's the parental involvement? How, is the, how are the chaperones? And we were able to assure him that we have good involvement. We have a lot of chaperones, parents and non-parents as well, who help him out on these trips, on mission trips, on activities, and, and help him with teaching and, and so on. And I hope that continues as a strength of this congregation. 
I'm very happy that we got through a summer that was very busy. We put on a deep youth conference and had hundreds of teenagers here. And all of that went well without a youth minister here. And it's because of the involvement of the members of this church in the youth program. We've got to keep that going. And, I, and I'm sure that we will. Well, there are many other things to say, but we need to prepare for the next youth minister. If we want this to be a great transition for this congregation, we're going to look into what our next youth minister needs, and we're going to do our very best to do, do that for him and his wife to the glory of God. Keep praying about Eli and Jenna's arrival and this transition. Pray for this church. Pray for our young people, and God will do great things among us, as he always has. As we bring the service to a close, a lot of the things that we've been talking about with regard to the conduct of a minister applies to everybody. We all need to give ourselves to the study of the Word of God. We all need to set an example of speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. We all need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe your spiritual life has become stale lately, and you need to ask people to pray for you. Maybe you're ready to become a Christian this morning. We're going to sing an invitation song to encourage you. And if we can do anything for you, please come. Let us pray with you. If you need to talk to somebody in depth, pull somebody aside at services, ask for a time when we can sit down with you and talk with you and pray with you and give you whatever you need. That's what we're here for. This is a family. Let this be your family. If we can help you in any way, please let us know right now as we stand together and as we sing.